Hello, hello, and welcome to The Art of Being You with me, Rachel Wortman. You guys, this podcast is all about learning to be who God created you to be, embracing that person, and ultimately living your best life with Jesus. We've got a lot of great content today, so let's get to it in The Art of Being You. All right, everybody, I'm so excited for today's episode. I'm a little bit terrified, if I'm being honest, just slightly daunted about this topic because I'm going to talk to you guys about marriage, or as the Princess Bride says, marriage, because marriage is something we need to be talking about in today's day and age. You may have seen if you follow me on social media that I celebrated 15 years of marriage this summer with my husband. We had our anniversary in July and this year we took a trip to Hawaii, just the two of us. We actually, because I cannot help myself, we went to Disneyland for a day on our way to Hawaii so I could see the new Star Wars land and just drool and enjoy the experience of the whole thing. And then we went on to Hawaii for a week. And this was a trip that was so amazing on so many levels. You can find the backstory of it on my Facebook page and my Instagram. But basically we had signed up for this credit card that got travel points like several years ago. And just through a series of God-ordained events, ended up going on this amazingly epic, luxurious trip to Hawaii for about 60% paid for by the credit card points. So, oh my gosh, it was awesome. We had such a good time. Typically, we don't do big celebrations for our anniversary, mostly because our anniversary is the day after my birthday, which is both a blessing and one of the worst decisions that I've ever made, if I'm being honest. I remember my mom saying to me when we were looking at dates for the wedding, are you sure you want to do this? And she was being sort of cautious about her approach. I do wish she would have been a little bit more firm of saying, I know you, Rachel, you will need to separate these for celebration purposes, but lo and behold, we did it and it is what it is now. So usually we're celebrating my birthday and then doing something small for our anniversary, but 15 years was a big milestone for us and it just needed to be celebrated. In our 15 years of marriage, we have learned a lot. We have grown a lot. We have changed a lot. And I just thought it would be fun to do an episode sort of dedicated to some of the things that we've learned. I hope this is helpful and thought-provoking for you in your marriage. And if you're not married yet, give you some good thoughts about what to be looking forward to and how to brace yourself to get ready for the lifelong commitment of marriage. I was 20 years old when Grant and I started dating. In fact, he was 20 as well. And we got married shortly after. We had been best friends for almost two years, just over two years. Um, I had kind of liked him and he didn't like me. And then he had kind of liked me and I wasn't into it. And then eventually our paths crossed. In fact, this is comical, but when I was a freshman in college, I had met Grant and I thought to myself, there is no one like him. And if you know him at all, you kind of know that's true anyway. But I was so enamored by him that I thought, oh my gosh, I think I need to marry him. And it became pretty evident quickly that is not how he felt about me. So the best thing I could think of to do was to make a list about all the things I didn't like about him and read it to myself every time I felt feelings. And that worked a little bit too well. So it was kind of hard to start dating him when that time came. But he is an amazing husband. And I want to say first and foremost that it although I'm going to talk about some of the hard things that we've learned, 
I think it's only fair to say that I really hit the jackpot in marrying him. He is consistent, faithful, integrous, and um, just an amazing, amazing person. And he loves Jesus light years beyond he lo- how he loves me. And so at the end of the day, I know he will be committed to him no matter what. And that has brought us a lot of life. But I would be lying if I said that our marriage was sort of the picture of perfection at any level whatsoever. Our first year was really great. The second year was fairly difficult. And then years three through 12 were really, really hard. Yes, you heard that right. Three through 12. We had a long period of time where we were both trying to figure out who we were as people. And although we have always been best friends, we have always related to each other well on a friendship level. Past that has been a challenge at times. So I've got three pieces of advice for you. And the first thing kind of comes from a stereotype or a, it's not really a stereotype as much as it's just sort of a thing that's out there in Christian marriage understanding, which is the idea of the man being the spiritual leader of the home. And I just want to talk about that for a second, because this concept, and it is biblical, but this concept was one of the biggest issues we had in our relationship. And here's why. My husband is an Enneagram 5, if you know what that means. If you don't know what that means, that means that he's a really private person and he needs copious amounts of time by himself to process his thoughts. And he has grown a lot through that, but that's kind of a hard thing to be married to when you're an extremely extroverted person. And also, he is a very easygoing man. He is a very... Um, he just doesn't see women or me as subservient. He doesn't see my role as being like his, his helpmate to the point where I am the domestic person and he's the breadwinner. In other words, we don't have a patriarchal context in our family. And I really struggled with how to live up to this idea and this verse that the husband is the spiritual leader of the home because he didn't want to be. And we would have these conversations where I would say, well, I feel like it's your job to initiate praying together, or it's your job to initiate, you know, whatever we need. In fact, I remember one person telling us that it's really the husband's job to take care of the finances because, you know, that builds trust. And I will never forget the day, our first year of marriage, when I realized three of our bills were two months past due. And it wasn't because we didn't have the money. And Grant said, gosh, I'm so bad at remembering to pay these bills. Would you just do this? And my heart died a little bit because I felt like he was, quote, not, or, you know, he wasn't living up to his role as the spiritual leader of the home because what I had been told was that man is the man who does the finances. The truth of the matter is I'm much better at budgeting and looking at the big picture of our finances. And we are way better off now that I'm at the helm of that. But I had this internal frustration, like I was doing something wrong. Like maybe God was not, you know, pleased with me, but then I would think, well, God, it's not like you're not pleased with me. You're probably not pleased with him because I'm willing to do whatever. And he just doesn't want to do these things. Now, this is sort of a comical example, but these uh, this concept really bled into multiple areas of our relationship. And I came to the point a few years into our marriage where I was really, really hurt. Not necessarily hurt by what he was doing, but hurt by his just sort of, from my perception, 
aloofness to this role of being a spiritual leader. When we would talk about it, he would say, I see myself as the spiritual leader. I don't know what you're, you know, what you're getting at. I don't know why you're making such a big deal of it. And uh, ah, that's how it felt. So I was in a a time with God and we were uh, in a group of people. We were praying together and somebody came up to me and they gave me this prophetic word and it changed everything. And here's what the prophetic word was. He said, Rachel, I saw you and you were in a castle and this castle was huge. It was like this enormous estate on this massive piece of land. And he said, you were walking through the castle and you went out onto the balcony and you were looking over the horizon of this huge, vast landscape that belonged to this estate that you were living in. And he said, and then the Lord said to me, Grant is the castle. And he said, I don't know if this means anything to you, but, and it really doesn't mean anything to me, but I just wanted to share it with you. I said, okay, thank you. And I didn't really know what it meant. And so as I dug in and asked the Lord, what God began to show me was this, Grant is the type of spiritual leader for me who was giving me a vast place to be myself. He was sort of the bedrock and the boundary line, but he had no intention of micromanaging my life. When I began to see that, I began to see that actually his place as the spiritual leader of our home looks completely different of what I had assumed it would look like, but was the best thing for me and our family. He's not threatened by my gifting. He's not intimidated by the calling of God that's on my life. And he's not, he doesn't consider himself off to the side as if there's only room in the kingdom for one of us to have a calling. He genuinely was this and is this castle that gives me a wide, vast spance to go with God where the Lord has led me. Sometimes that looks like me leading devotional times for our families. Sometimes that looks like me making plans for things we're going to do or camps they're going to go to, etc. And I've learned to embrace that. And I wish I could say it was easy. It was just really, really hard. And one of the things I had to do was recognize that this particular verse in the Bible has a wide application. And here's how I know this to be true. Not every man born on the face of the earth is a patriarchal man, and they're not supposed to be. That doesn't mean that if you're married to someone who is like sort of a patriarch mentality, what do I mean by that? It means that it's dad's, you know, dad's in control, dad, you know, Play, gives the shots like like you know what I mean right that it's the at the end of the day dad has a big opinion and he wants to have an opinion and that there is a biblical model for that and that's a good thing if that's what you're married to but to say that all men are supposed to be that in my opinion is a disservice to men not every man is a natural born leader Not every man is incredibly assertive and God created them that way. And so one of my first pieces of advice and one of my best pieces of advice for you in having a godly marriage is to work to embrace who you are with your spouse, who you actually are. Like if you have a context where your husband or, you know, is more patriarchal, then work to embrace that and figure out how to make that work to the best of your advantage. If you don't, same work to embrace that. Don't put something onto your spouse as an expectation or a domestic role that might not be intuitive to who they are. Now that doesn't mean there's not place for compromise. You know, in different seasons of our life, we've had to come together and say, listen, I need you to step up in this area because I don't have the time or the capacity or the emotional, you know, ability or whatnot. So I'm not talking about compromise. I'm talking about at the bedrock of how you accept them 
as who they are. It's been a hard thing for me to do, but I see my life now and I think, gosh, Lord, you knew exactly what I needed. You've given me so much freedom through the man that you've allowed me and given to me to marry. The second piece of advice I've got for you is give space for growth. I've probably said this before, but I'm going to say it again. My favorite quote on marriage is this, this older couple, they've been married for like 60 something years or something like that. And the interviewer was saying, what's the key to a happy marriage? And they were sitting together and without missing a beat, the husband responds, oh, I've been married to about six or seven women in the course of my marriage. And of course, the interviewer is completely taken aback and stunned. And before she has a chance to respond, her the husband chimes in again and he says, every six or seven years, my wife changes into someone new and I have to recommit to her. I have to relearn who she is. I have to re-decide that this is my wife now. And he said, so over the course of our many decades of marriage, I've been married to like seven different women. And I will never forget that quote because there is so much wisdom in it, right? We do grow. We do change. God leads us down different paths. Life leads us down different paths. Wounding and trauma leads us down different paths. And so who you married the day you said, I do, might not be the type of person they are 7, 10, 15 years later. Part of the beauty of marriage is learning to adapt, learning to continue to pursue your spouse and discover who they're becoming, not just who they are. I wish I could say that's always a beautiful process. The truth of the matter is that it's not. I think there's definitely times where life throws you a lemon and before you figure out you can make lemonade, you've soured everything in the bowl. Life has a way of changing us. Commitment is hard when your spouse is changing into someone that's really different than who you married and maybe someone that you don't necessarily like. My encouragement to you in that place is to work hard to embrace them as who they are and give them space for growth. Give them space to be on their journey. I'm not talking about necessarily separation or whatnot, but just, you know, breathing room where you don't have to talk about all the introspective things all the time. You have to weigh that before the Lord on how that works for you. But I know for me and my husband and in our marriage, we've been through several different careers. We've been through several different sort of awakenings and things that we became passionate about, Uh, you know, even ministry aspirations that came about through being connected with different people. And our life today looks nothing like we thought it would look 15 years ago. But in our decision to give each other space to continue to grow into who God has made us to be, We're actually loving where we are right now, if we forget about those couple of years that were super hard in the middle. (laughs) All right, my third and final piece of advice to you is to commit to make it work. Commit to make it work. I think one of those cliches that's out there, and of course it's, you know, in the book, in the Bible as well, but where it says not to let the sun go down on your anger. And I agree with that. Don't let the sun go down on your anger if you can. But what happens if you got angry after the sun went down? What happens if you thought you were having a great day and it's like 10 p.m. and your husband tells you something that you weren't expecting and all of a sudden you're like, you're dead to me. I don't like you, right? I don't, maybe that's never how something that's happened to you, but it's happened to me from time to time. And you sit there and you're like, well, shoot, the sun is already down. What do I do now? The reasoning behind that verse is to make sure you're taking care of your own heart, not necessarily their heart. Not every argument can be resolved before the sun goes down. 
In fact, most arguments in a marriage with children happen after the sun goes down. So the idea is that we are not allowing ourselves to stay in an angry state for days at a time. But that's something that you do, not necessarily something you put onto your spouse. I remember when I was dating my husband, a couple weeks into our relationship, he came to me and he said, Rachel, I have been thinking about this particular verse I'm about to share with you for years. He said, I've always dreamed of when I found my wife that I wanted to have this be a component of our relationship. Now you might be saying, hold the phone. He was saying that on week three. Well, listen, we had been best friends for about two years. So we both knew dating was like a, this is either we're going to find out we're getting married or, you know, we'll probably never speak again. And we knew pretty quickly, yep, you're my person. So we had already kind of talked about this, at least at some level, not necessarily recommending that for you, but can't change the facts. So we're sitting there and he says this, and he says this verse in Song of Solomon, and it says this, to not let the little foxes ruin the vineyard. And he said, I think the things that are going to be the most problematic in our relationship are the little foxes that if we don't catch them, they steal the fruit. And then eventually there's not as much sort of emotional uh, deposits in the you know proverbial bank account as there were before. And he said, it's important to me that we catch the little foxes. And so that looked like us talking about the frustrations as they came up in the first couple of years. After we had a couple kids, and especially after the kids started talking and they wanted to participate at family dinners and whatnot, it was a lot harder to catch those little foxes. A few, maybe two years went by and we realized we had sort of let this particular uh, goal and value go in our relationship. Our life was so chaotic that there wasn't always time to talk about the little frustrations until maybe a week or two down the road. Some of the beauty of that is that you learn to get good at letting it go. But the danger of that is that some of the, the little things that you can't let go, but you don't have time to talk about begin to fester. I shared this with my church recently, but you know, frustration, hidden frustration festers. And when it festers, it becomes like a magnet and it draws negativity to itself. So it is really important to be talking about the things that you're dealing with, the things you're frustrated about and working towards a, a plausible way of resolve. So in other words, commit to make it work. Commit to make it work. In the times where we have been at odds with each other, at the end of the day, our our commitment is that we will make it work. We have had moments where we kind of look at each other and think, well, today we're obviously not going to see eye to eye. Today we're obviously not going to be on the same page about that, but we're committed to continue the conversation. We might push pause for a week or two, but we're going to come back around. We're going to be seeking the Lord in the meantime. Resolve is one of the best things you can do in your marriage. But here's the thing. Most of us listen to podcasts like this one about marriage, and we begin to say what the other person needs to do differently. And we begin to say, okay, this was great. So honey, can you listen to minute seven of this podcast? Because that's you. And if you can change this, then our marriage will be amazing. Listen, it doesn't work like that. Okay. The best thing you can do is work on yourself and genuinely trust God to work on them. I want to tell you a really sad moment in my life a few years ago. And I wish this wasn't the case, but it was. 
I had been in a season where I was just so frustrated with my husband and I just was like, I wish you could be someone different. Isn't that so sad? Here, one of my life messages and my life passions is about learning to be yourself. And I was coming to the end of realizing if I'm going to be myself and you're going to be yourself, then something is going to go because my desires are just not your desires. And what are we going to do? And so internally, I was just debating this with the Lord. And I was saying to God, I just wish you would change him. And I, we had had an, an argument after the sun went down. So I guess if we're going by technicality, we had until the next night to resolve it. I'm just kidding. But we had had this argument after the sun had gone down and I was laying in bed trying to go to sleep. And I was just really hurt and really frustrated, not necessarily by anything he said, but just the reality of the situation. And I was saying to God, please just fix him. If you would just fix him, we would be fine. And the Lord said to me, I'm not going to answer that prayer. And I said, oh, like, you know, why? Why won't you answer that prayer? And then he said this to me, and this still offends me at some level to this day. He said, Rachel, what would it look like if I became your husband? I said, Lord, I don't want you to be my husband. You gave me a husband. You gave me a godly man as a husband. So I don't know why I would do that. Now, I'm just being honest. That was my response. And Jesus just kindly said to me again, what would it look like if I became your husband? I said, Jesus, are you going to give me flowers? Are you going to, you know, dote on me? Are you going to whatever? And the Lord said, yes, I will. And I said, oh, let me think about it. So I thought about it for a few days. And eventually I said, yes, Lord, I will allow you to be my husband. Now, what was happening in this moment? Jesus was saying, put me on the hook for the needs that you feel as a wife. Put me on the hook so that you don't feel at a deficit so you can learn to love him for who he really is. That was about three, maybe four years ago that that happened. The first several months were incredibly painful, if I'm just being honest. They were hurtful to me um, for learning to navigate that and even the fact that I you know, was in that position as a whole. And of course, I'm not going into the details of the story, which probably leaves room for lots of suspicion. Don't be suspicious. It was not that big of a deal. But to me, it felt very personal. Well, what I've learned over the last several years since that moment happened was God has actually completely transformed our marriage, but what he needed to do was to get my needs off of my husband and onto him so that he could redefine us. And he's done it and he's doing it. And year 15 has been, well, I guess year 14 has been the best year yet. It's been the best times of communication, the best times of understanding, the best sex, the best vulnerability, the best times of being able to understand each other. I mean, we are literally having uh, the marriage that we were hoping we would have and we've spent years and years building to. The reason why I tell you that is to give you hope because it doesn't matter the state of your marriage today. God can make it into something beautiful. It requires you embracing who you really are. It requires you giving each other space to grow into who God has called you to be. And it requires a steadfast commitment to making it work. So I hope this is helpful for you. I hope this is encouraging for you. And, you know, it's exciting for me because I know the work that's gone into it. None of this happened overnight. This was years of renewing our mind and doing those three things I just shared with you. So I'm praying for you. I'm praying for your marriage. I know most people listening to this might be listening to this and thinking, gosh, I wish that could be true for me. If that's in you, then believe for it and watch God do amazing things. Until next time.
Be blessed. So you've just listened to The Art of Being You with Rachel Wortman. I hope you enjoyed this episode of my podcast. And listen, it would mean the world to me if you would subscribe and rate or review this podcast on wherever you're listening from. Also, share it with a friend. Help me get the word out. Until next time, be blessed.